Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Hey, welcome in. I'm Doug Gottlieb, and uh, this is the first ever on-the-road all ball, right? Literally on an interstate uh, between Asheville, North Carolina, and... uh, Harrisburg, Virginia. And what you're going to hear over the next hour or so is a podcast with Ryan Odom. Now, uh, Ryan and I know each other a little bit. Uh, my brother and Ryan are, are good friends. But it's if you're listening to this and you're a fan and you're like, boy, they really seem like they know each other. Like it's called uh, in in uh, Hebrew, it's mishpukka, which is like family. I family by choice. In basketball, it, it totally makes sense if you're a hoop guy, right? His dad was a coach, high school coach, became a college assistant, became big-time college head coach. And my dad was a, a high school coach, became a college assistant, became a college head coach, a college assistant, then an AAU coach, whatever. It's basketball family. And there's some interesting ties that bind there. Um, and ultimately, obviously, what we led up to is – uh, the greatest upset in the history of college basketball. And you're going to be, I think, fascinated by it, but it's his own personal journey. And remarkably, like uh, I set this up uh, through my brother, Greg, uh, who does deserve producing credit. And, you know, I, I wanted to, I wanted to do it right now as we get into championship week into the NCAA tournament. And it's just timely and perfect and, and enjoyable. And Virginia is still the defending national champion as of now. But, but when we set it up, he was the one seed. And I was like, all right, well, you know, they're going to win their tournament and then we'll get them. And it's like, so they just, they were upset by the eighth seed. 
And then it became even more timely, more perfect. And I thought to myself, you're not going to want to do it. You know, it's just, it's just too emotional. It's too hard. You know, these coaches, they lose a game. They bury themselves in a bunker for a month and good luck getting them out of it. And I texted Ryan the day after they lost, maybe two days. Like, hey, man, if you don't want it, he's like, no, we're doing it. We're, how about we do it Monday? And then Monday didn't work, and now Tuesday. So this is dropping on a Wednesday of championship week. And I, I know you will enjoy it. It's, it's impossible not to because he's just a delightful human being. Um, I, I do have to promote the fact that, one, there are a litany of other all-ball podcasts that are amazing, amazing. Uh, from Tremaine Davis, who was awarded the state at three and just recently was uh, the ceremonial captain at the Super Bowl. There's a two-parter with Jay Billis you can dig through and find just, you know, where you searched out this podcast. There's Scott Brooks podcast. There's uh, Nate Oates podcast. There's, I mean, God, there's so many good ones. And uh, it's, it's interesting. Like, I kind of started doing this as a bit of a passion project. I just like catching up with friends or people that I'm fascinated by in the sport that I love. There's also a TJ Hushmanzano one about his life and background, which is not really basketball, but his personal story is so good. It's so interesting, you know, selling drugs in Oklahoma city as a teenager uh, into making it to the NFL and becoming a, a pro bowler. Kind of cool. Like I, I, we got them all in here. Just download the catalog. Also, you can listen to the Doug Outlook Show daily, three to six Eastern, twelve through Pacific. Uh, but this thing is is growing leaps and bounds, and guys like Ryan are the reason why. They just they have time. They tell their story. They share it with you. Uh, Dan Munson's podcast. Dan, of course, um, son of Don, another coach's son, was the head coach of Gonzaga when they made that initial Elite Eight run. That was a like a month ago. You can download that. That's a two parter. And every bit of it is good. And every, the honesty in it is amazing. Amazing. You know, sometimes you get a guy and like, I know there's more to the story. And most of the guys that we've had, they've just talked and told their story. It's an organic conversation. Um, we try and do that on the radio. Obviously there's some more time constraints and there's some other, uh, there's, there's some other parts to it. I, I should also point out the Andrew Bogut two-parter. Uh, there's some language issues sometimes, not that he doesn't speak English, in terms of our cursing a little bit, a little bit more rife, a little bit more real than some of the others. So download those. They're great. Listen to the Doug Outlet Show, 3 to 6 Eastern, Fox Sports Radio, iHeartRadio app. Um, I've, I've lived this basketball journey now for, I think 83 was the first time I remember, right? And we talked about that in the pod. Um, I, I remember Final Fours. I've gone to Final Fours. I didn't play in a Final Four. I wish I did. You know, people always like, you play with Big Country? Like, nah, that was that was not me. Uh, no, you play with that, with with Tony Allen? No, that was John Lucas. That wasn't me. We lost in Elite Eight. So maybe I'll do a pod next uh, next week on, on the NCAA tournament, my memories of playing in it. I think I've done some of that. But um, the 16-1. You know, it had never happened before. And statistics will tell you that ultimately it was going to happen. But logic to me said might not ever happen because low major is like a bad word that's used traditionally in recruiting and in coaching and then low major because somehow it just feels different than mid-major. 
But the low majors, the true one-bid leagues, those are being rated by the mid and high majors. You recruit a kid, you think he's a little bit better, a mid-major minus, or maybe even a mid-major, mid-major plus, and you get him and he's so good that everybody takes notice. And so an AU coach or an assistant coach in college somehow finds a way to the family, to the connector, and they transfer up, right? I mean, Cleveland State's program was raided. San Jose State has been raided. Um, you go across the country and there's lots of these kids like, I mean, look at Division three programs that are losing players to the Division one programs. Um, so I always, I, I thought recently that because guys were transferring up from the lower levels, I'm not sure what happened. Now it's important to point out that Virginia did have a major injury to DeAndre Hunter. And that changed them not just in terms of their go-to guy, but also he allowed them to play smaller and more four out one in. But that didn't, if you go back and watch that game, didn't feel that much like an upset. Just didn't. And it was because it was an ass kicked by UMBC. Got out of hand at the end. Anyway, Ryan Odom is son of the great coach and kind of legendary coach, right, in college basketball. His personal story has been told many times over. And um, he's come out the other side. He had a great year. They won the league this year at UMBC, but obviously fell short in the conference tournament. If you're known for one thing and known for pulling off arguably the greatest upset in the history of college basketball, that ain't a bad thing. There's a lot more to him. I think you'll enjoy this conversation. Here's the head coach of Maryland, Baltimore County, Ryan Odom. College basketball is crazy, right? Obviously. And I want to get to what happened most recently and then what you're probably most known for. But I want to start, like when you were born, we're both sons of coaches. But I think it was right in the window of your dad going from being a high school coach to a college assistant. Is that, is that accurate? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I was born in 74, and uh, my father was the head coach at Durham High School. And, uh, you know, back then, John Lucas was playing at a rival high school. There was all kinds of good players around there. A guy named Marshall Ashford played for him. Uh, he ended up going on to Virginia Tech to be a really good guard. But, um, yeah, he, he, uh, he started in, in Goldsboro. That's where he was born and raised. And so his father was a car dealer. And so the Wait, his dad was a car dealer? His dad was a car dealer. He had the car dealership in uh in Goldsboro, maybe the Cadillac. I have no idea what it was, but um, you know, he would work there every summer. And so the you know, the thought was, hey, he's he's gonna take it over one day. That's just gonna what's just gonna be what happens. And so um he went and played basketball for a guy named Jerry Steele at uh High Point, or excuse me, uh, Guilford. He'll kill me if I for saying high point. He at Guilford College. And uh, you know, Jerry Steele was a great player at Wake Forest, uh, one of the best big guys in the 60s, back when they went to the final four and, and played the Billy Packer and that crew. And uh they were very close in age. So Jerry just graduated from Wake, dad was just coming into Guilford, and so that was kind of his first 
connection into the basketball world was through, through Jerry Steele. Jerry played for Bones McKinney. And, you know, he mentored dad. Dad played football as well. He played uh, basketball. He played baseball uh, all at Guilford, you know, in college and just loved sports. So he ends up after graduating from college, going home to Goldsboro and coaches at his high school that he graduated from Goldsboro High School. There a couple of years, my brother Lane, who you know, was born there at the time in Goldsboro and then move on to, to he moves on, gets offered the Durham High job. That's where I'm born in 74. And so he was very fortunate in that he got to know at that point, um, Vic Bubis was the head coach at Duke. Chuck Daly was an assistant. Hubie Brown was an assistant. Uh, I mean, it was a who's who on that staff, you know, at that point. And so he would go over there, you know, almost daily to watch the practices and do all that. And so his connection and, and initial entree into college basketball was through, they introduced him to Garth. And so he, he, he would take, he was kind of the first Southern guy to go up to five-star basketball camp. And, you know, he literally would drive the bus up and all the local players in the, in, in North Carolina would, would go up there with him and, uh, you know, spend a week or two and, and go to the camp. And so he became obviously really close with, you know, all the coaching characters of the, of that time, the Tinos and, the, you know, obviously Garf and Fratella and he met all those guys and was, has, has remained close with them for years. Um, but I wouldn't be coaching if it wasn't for, him coaching at Durham High and, you know, them connecting him to, to Garth. It's amazing. My, my dad, uh, so my grandpa was an accountant yeah. in New York, and he's a very successful accountant. And um, he became a car dealer because he would take over parts of people's businesses because, you know, you look at the books, you're like, it's in bad shape because they don't know what they're, <laughs> they don't know what they're doing. And, you know, with his accounting background, he took over a car dealership on Long Island. My dad was like 13 and moved out to Long Island. And he became the, the most successful car dealer on Long Island because he was the first to start leasing. And he was leasing to uh, soldiers who were coming back from, you know, any sort of battle, whatever. He had, he, he had connections uh, within like the VA and they would, you know, get off a boat and you have a brand new Cadillac for them. Yeah. And, and, um, anyway, it kind of similarly, like, so my dad, his first job was at Fairlawn high school in New Jersey. And I believe the previous coach was Hubie Brown. No way. And, and yeah. And then my dad, he had this mercurial journey where he was like, he was a head coach at, uh, Colorado Springs High School, at Death Valley High School, at, uh, I'll think of it in a second, somewhere out in uh, Western Pennsylvania, um, close to where Jerry Lucas grew up. Yeah. Anyway, it's, it's just, it's, it's interesting kind of the, the similarity. So yeah. your dad goes to wake as an assistant, you're like two years old. Yeah. Right? So, so your earliest memories of basketball were more in a college gym? Or in a high school gym, like what? What are your earliest memories? Definitely college. Yeah, yeah, definitely college. I mean, I I, I remember Wake a little bit. Um, they had because my brother was you know my brother's six seven years older than me or whatever, and and so at halftime they always had this thing called the dribbling deacons, 
And so Lane was a part of the dribble and Deacon. So I, I, I sort of remember that. Um, and then, you know, he left there, you know, and, and became the head coach at East Carolina. And so we moved down to Greenville and, and I, I definitely remember that, uh, being there. I remember summer camps, you know, going to his camp and he would always have great college counselors. I can remember James Worthy came, you know, one, it was probably his, after his junior or sophomore year or something, it was when he broke his leg and, and he was out for basically the, the summer. He and, broke his leg at the camp? No, 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 no. It, I think it was okay. – he had some sort of surgery over okay. the summer. And so I'm just remembering him being at the camp with this huge cast on. <laughs> I don't know how you work camp with a cast on, but he did it. <laughs> um, and then, you know, Dad left there after three years and, and then, you know, went up to Virginia. And, and that was kind of an odd thing, you know, because he was a head coach at East Carolina. And then he went – you know, after three quick years to, and again, they weren't terrible at ECU. They were, they were okay. Um, and he went to be an assistant for Terry Holland. Well, they were number one in the country at that point. That was when Ralph was still there. Ralph's senior year, you know, they were picked to win the whole thing. Um, okay. So let's, let's, let, let's, let's start there. Okay. So yeah. you're how old at this time? This is, I'm, I'm probably, I'm going old? into, I'm going into third, third or fourth grade at that point. Yeah. Like you're like eight years old. Yeah. South yeah. And for, and like you and I know, and I think a lot of people listen, but there's some people who don't know. Like Ralph Sampson was like three time player of the year. He's seven foot four. Yeah. Like crazy skill, crazy yeah. skill. And remember this is in a time when the ACC has, Worthy and Jordan, right? And like everybody has NC State has just won a national is won a national championship. Like the league is, and he's the best of all. Okay, so eight year old Ryan Odom, yeah. What do you remember about like the first? You're looking up at Ralph Sampson. Yeah, I mean, just just shock, you know. Never never seen a guy that tall. Number one, and to see the things that he was able to do on the basketball court. I mean, it's what you see all these guys nowadays, and obviously they've taken it to another level in terms of how they play with the ball, you know, in terms of their skill level. But back then when you had big guys, it was all around the rim. You know, it was hook shots, and he certainly had all of that. It was dunks and layups, and, and they, would, they would get to the free throw line. But, you know, his ability to shoot and dribble and do the things that he could do on a court was amazing. But I remember the times where he wasn't playing. You know, and, and I'm at the practice because we literally live. You've been to Charlottesville and where the, you know, U-Haul was. There's a bridge. I've never right? been to Charlottesville. Oh, uh, you've I'm never been? Gonna, I'm actually going to go there tomorrow. Oh, my I gosh. Have, I, have, I have a day off. Yeah. And this is, I, this is and I, I, we'll get back. I, I'm, I apologize for interrupting your story. This no, not story. at all. Okay, so the first high major to offer me yeah. was Jeff Jones of Virginia. JJ. I work for JJ. Okay, so, <laughs> so. When he was there, they, when he offered me, Harold Dean was his point guard. And, <laughs> and I loved Harold Dean because Harold Dean had like the most, he and Jim Jackson had the most ripped arms. Yeah. Ever, right. Jeez. I was like, those guys are badasses. <laughs> and, and so I remember like, remember they used to, they used to send out, you know, all the mailing stuff, whatever. Oh, yeah. And so I, you know, like Virginia, uh, Coach Jones offered me a scholarship, and um, and I was uh, still a junior in high school. And at the time, it was mostly mid-majors and, you know, some tepid interest from some other schools. It was Virginia first, and then Long Kruger at Florida offered me. 
but Virginia sent me. So I had got all the stuff and it was the first, it was the only school that when they sent all this information, I just poured over it. And I was just fascinated by the campus and the beauty oh, of the yes. campus and everything. And I became like, I became this like Virginia cause um, Bobby Hurley was my idol. Yeah. And, uh, I didn't know, I, but I still to this day, I've never been to Cameron. I don't know anything about Duke. I don't know anything about Duke really as a university, but yeah. Virginia, I know everything about the buildings and the architecture. Like I was super into it. Yeah. It's fascinating stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But they, yeah. I remember that. I remember the old arena was a dump. Like a complete yeah. dump. I just remember saying like, why do they play there? Fox sports radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. In just a few taps in the Angie app or clicks on the site. You can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. Renters, you can use Angie too for moving, installations, or cleaning. Angie can even help with extremely specific projects. Just tell them what you need, and Angie will find the right solution for you. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com, or download the app today. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER.
Um, <laughs> anyway, so it's interesting. It's fascinating that okay, so you, you live close to the you live close. Yeah, to the so area. there's a bridge that leads you know from one little neighborhood over into where the old arena U Hall was, and, and now they've since torn it down. They've torn down U Hall. They imploded it a year ago, but the new arena is right beside that. And so literally I would get home. We lived two doors down from the Hollands. And so I grew up with, you know, uh, you know, Coach Holland and, and Mrs. Holland and their daughters and Michael and Kate. Uh, Jim Laranaga was an assistant at the time. So Jay, you know, and I grew up together. Like that was kind of the, the staff at the time and the kids. Uh, Jay and John, John's uh, Jay's younger brother. Um and so we had a blast together traveling around, you know, watching them at Final Fours and NCAA tournaments and just all these different, you know, experiences that we all had together growing up was, was really cool. And Coach Holland made it like a true family. But when I would get home from school every day, I would get on my bike and I would ride across the bridge. Sometimes I would walk um, and uh, I would go to the practices. And, you know, literally you think about the practices and the guys that were in the gym at the time. I mean, you had Ralph Sampson, you had uh, Rick Carlisle, you had Othell Wilson, you know, who was a, a, an amazing guard and one of the best in, in the ACC at that time. You had Ricky Stokes, you know, who was incredible to watch. Um, you know, you can keep keep going with all the players. When, you know, when, there. when did you first start to absorb the actual basketball? It was probably then. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, you know, as after we'd been there, you know, three or four years, you know, all of a sudden I'm 12 years old and, and like, I'm working out hard over there and, um, you know, around the team, you know, about when Brian Stith and John Crotty and those guys came in. Um, yeah. I mean, that was about the time where, huh? I mean, Crotty was my favorite. These are, these are, these are good players. Yeah, I used to try to copy all Crotty's crossovers. I forgot, like, John Crotty was, I forgot, like, man, he was a stud. Yeah. He got he, so good. He was just a tough dude, too. I mean, he wasn't yeah. taking well, <laughs> well, that's the, that's the thing. And, and you know, I have, I have an 11-year-old son. And, you know, like, and he's, he's like, he's the world's nicest kid. Yeah. Like, he's just nice. And I'll never forget, like, he was, <laughs> I've always, I've tried to play him up a lot. 11 to playing like when you get to play 13s like there's just a yeah. there's physical a, there's difference a, it, there's a you know they, the kids that are post puberty it's just really hard to fit yeah. in there um, and and he's he'll he's like me he'll mature late um, I'm still waiting <laughs> <laughs> so when his his first time playing like AU basketball yeah I, I started coaching this like fourth grade B team um and I had him playing on it. He's like in third grade. He's a young third grader. So instead of just like letting him play, like he just, he couldn't dribble his left hand. He felt his left hand. And so I only let him dribble right. And then we'd find the, the other team's point guard. I would make, we'd find out he's right left-handed, make him go the other way the whole game. That's it. <laughs> I simplify. And I just want you to guard him the entire game, you know, and just every time he gets the ball, make him go to his left hand if he's right handed. Yeah. And so we're playing a team and it's fourth graders and he's really frustrating this kid. He's doing a great job and nobody's looking. And at the free throw line, the kid just turns and elbows him right in the head. He goes oh, down to the ground. He's crying. 
I hate basketball. <laughs> I don't ever want to play this game. <laughs> and I, uh, I said to him then, I say to it now, I said, I said, Hayes, I said, listen, bro, the, if you want to play this thing, yeah. hey, you got to be, you got to be a tougher than a $2 stick. That's you right. Gotta, you got to and, and, and the, if, if we go through, we track the guys that have made it as backup point guards in the NBA, the guys that we all respect as the great college point guards, like all of them, they have one thing in common. Yeah. Some of them are scorers. Some of them are facilitators. Some of them are black. Some of them are white. Yeah. Some of them are mixed. They are all the toughest dudes on a That's basketball right. floor you will ever find. It is yeah. just that the nature of you, you have to be smart. Yes. A little bit, but you had tough is way more important than anything else. Yeah, yeah, you're not going to make it if you're not tough. Like that kid T.J. McConnell right now that's play, still playing. I mean, he's perfect he's example. Tough, tough as nails. <laughs> oh, like look, T.J. McConnell. Like I and I apologize to him every time I see him because I was like T.J. I because I told him when he finished school I was like, you know, like Europe's going to be hard because you got to you can play, but he plays like a lot of Europeans in terms of his toughness, but they can all really shoot. Yeah. And they like their own guys. I was like, you know, you should you know, coaching, whatever. He's like, I'm going to make it. And, and yeah. he's obviously made it. And he's made it because he, he knows he does what he can do. Just mid range shots and layups. Yeah. Get them open. And then he just the ball goes in the basket and he's, here we go. He's, yeah. He, he just guards and he's just yeah. up and they're going to, and they're going to, you know, they're going to come at you and try and expose you for your weaknesses every time on defense. And, you either decide you want to play or you don't. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. It's really, you know. My dad um, okay. used to always say there's nowhere to hide. Once you get inside those lines, there's nowhere to hide. Like nowhere it's either you're going to get it done or, or you're not. And as a team or as an individual, you know, if you're trying to make it as an individual, there's nowhere to hide. <laughs> it's, as, it's as fair as it gets. <laughs> so, okay. So you're, so, 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 I mean, Terry Holland had these amazing staffs. Yeah. Amazing staffs. I mean, really like crazy. You go back kind of, uh, you go back through and look at all his assistants. They've all gone on. They were all successful in, in coaching and, and well-respected. Um, uh, why did they not win at all? Uh, I mean, I think you have to, you have to be lucky, you know, uh, at times to win it all. And I think that's the short answer of it. Um, you know, they, they had, you know, that, that particular year, they ran into a, a team that caught lightning in a bottle. Like, if NC State didn't exist, Sidney Lowe and, and Derek Wittenberg and all that that, that crew, um, you know, uh, they would have won it, most likely, you know, that year. And they ran into a team that, you know, would not – there was no give it. And it was, there was just something magical about it. And – um, I think sometimes that's just the way it is. Like, you know, you think about Virginia's run last, last year, I guess it's a few years ago now. I mean, they had to escape multiple rounds, multiple things had to happen, you know, in each game for them to, to continue to advance. And so I think not that you know, you're saying, oh, they're lucky, you know, but you have to have luck, you know, without a doubt. Um, and the matchups, you know, it's all the matchups, you know, each round, you know, how that plays out. Um, you know, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I, I don't really know the ins and outs of exactly why they didn't win, didn't beat NC State, but you know, they 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 had their chances. I know that. Um, so, so you're 
then your dad went where? So he left there in 89 and became the head coach at Wake. Yeah, so he was an assistant all the way to 89 and then took over Wake Forest uh, that, that year. What was, what was that like for you to leave? You're, you're like painting a picture of Utopia at Virginia, right? Yeah. Great teams. Charlottesville is supposedly amazing, yeah. you know, um, and great players. And now you're at Wake Forest. And remember, this is, again, in the league in 89 where it's yeah. Carolina, it's Duke, you know, it's still Virginia, whatever. What, was, what were your early memories of when your dad took over Wake? Yeah, I mean, I can remember going to the press conference, right, at Braylon Conference Center. I mean, it was, you know, it was it was really exciting because Dad had kind of, you know, achieved uh, something that was a dream of his, you know, to, to co- be a head coach in the ACC. And it was at a place that he knew really well where he got his start. Um, he knew he knew all the people there already, you know, and, and they were excited to, you know, to have him back. Um, and and it was an opportunity uh, for him to to build something and you know i think one of the biggest things that helped him get it going um was being able to to sign rodney rogers um you know that was that was the first sign that man they can do something you know if this guy's willing to to take a chance on wake then you know we we, we could have something special here so your dad gets the your dad gets the wake job. Yeah. Um, then what was that like for you in terms of your basketball? Now you're your middle school into high school, getting ready for high school. Yeah. So I'm I'm heading into tenth grade at that point. Um, and so you know, anytime you you know you know as a coach's son, you move around a lot, and so you have to be you 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 know we tried to always look at it as an opportunity as opposed to like. You know this. This sucks, man. We're 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 moving again. I just made all my friends here, and now I got to leave all of them. The way we try to view it was, you know, you, I have more friends now because of this, and let's go make some more. And so that was our, you know, initial uh, thought going in there. And it was a place that we knew. <laughs> that's, that's, that's such a that's a, such a parent thing to say. Right? I know. <laughs> that's, that's a good one. That's a good one. We'll just make more friends. Like, yeah. yeah, I don't know how that works. Yeah, that's before <laughs> cell phones, Dad. Like, you're literally never going to see these people ever again in your life. I know, I know. Yeah, you're not the one having to walk into to high school, you know, for the first day where you don't know. Right. Plus, plus you're, you're like now the head coach's son, which yeah. is a, a completely different dynamic. Yeah, everybody the assistant coach's son. Yeah. Yeah, they're looking sideways at you right away. <laughs> so, okay, so what, what high school? I went to R.J. Reynolds, you know, which has turned out to be a great a blessing for me. It was a great school, awesome school. I, I played for a coach named Howard West, who's one of the all-time winningest coaches in, in North Carolina history. Um, just a great coach. And I uh, met some lifelong friends there, man, lifelong friends. I got, I got, a, I got a quick my, – my only – I got a couple Wake Forest stories. One of them is, do you know that Fran McCaffrey went there? Uh, well, my dad recruited him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So when your dad recruited him, was your dad still there when Fran was there? He was there for a year, I think. Yeah. And then yes. Fran left. He didn't yes. play that much. And yeah. Well, wasn't he, a good I, ex- I don't know. Fran, I think Fran said he started as a freshman. He might have. Yeah. And, yeah, he, might and have. he said his Kyle Tasty story was this one. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> this is a good one. This is a good one. He said he, he has two of them. Okay. And I probably, I've had him on the pod and I don't know, he didn't tell it, so I'll tell it for him. 
Yeah. Now he said <laughs> one was they're playing at Duke. And they had a rule, and you can ask your dad this rule that when it was on the side, it was on the side, uh, side out of bounds, they were in zone. Yeah. Underneath, they're in man. Okay. Okay. So they're playing at Cameron. The ball goes out of bounds, and it's down close to the corner, but it's on the side. Yeah. Um, or excuse me, uh, underneath, out of bounds, they're in stone. Side, they're in man. Right. So, uh, ball goes out of bounds. And um, it's on the sideline, close to the baseline, but still on the sideline. So Fran gets his man. They throw the ball bounce to the elbow where he's supposed to be if they were in a 2-3 zone, only they're not supposed to be in a 2-3 zone. And Kyle Tacey hops up and, get him, you know, and he <laughs> – so Fran comes over and he's like, why'd you take me out? And he said – and, and he, he goes, you don't know. And, and so he goes in, instead of going and sitting down on the bench, and he goes, coach, we got a rule. Side out of bounds, we're in man. Underneath, we're in zone. And Tasty like, wheels back and he's watching the game. And, like, it should have been over at that point. But, of course, yeah. if you know Fran, it's not over. <laughs> and so Fran, so Fran says something like, so what you should have done was take those other four assholes out and left me in. <laughs> <laughs> so then his other story, his other story, this, this, this is my favorite one. And I said, I'll never forget, we're sitting in the Joyce Center and we're watching the girls t- practice. Little did I know that Margaret was a women's coach at the time. Fran was single and they had just started dating or whatever. So we're watching the women, Muffin McGraw is a great coach, watching practice. And I said, Franny, when did you know you wanted to coach? And he said, I'll tell you the moment. We're playing in College Park against Maryland. They got lefty Drizel. We got Kyle Tacey. They're both good coaches. And uh, three seconds left to go in the game. And we're down a point. And we call a timeout. And assistants are arguing over what to run. <laughs> and by the time they decide that by the time Kyle Tacey comes over to draw up a play, the buzzer sounds and the refs are putting us back out in the court. And he turns to me and he's like, Fran, get him in something. <laughs> so he's like, you know, running two, running two, whatever two is, right? So they get, they line up and Lefty Drizel looks and he calls the timeout because he wants to adjust to whatever Kyle takes. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, so I said to myself, wait a second. One guy can't get, decide what he wants to run. The other guy wants to call a timeout. To give the other guy a chance to figure out what he wants to do. Like, I got to do this. This, this. this is the greatest job ever. <laughs> we all outthink ourselves. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. Man. So, okay. Too funny. so you're, you're in high school. You're having this great experience. How, how, good, how good were you in high school? High school, I was solid. Yeah, I mean, I, I played as a sophomore on the on, on the varsity and then, you know, started my last two years. Um and, you know, my options were walk on at Wake, you know, uh, walk on at Furman. Butch Estes was the coach there. Great school. Uh, yeah, great school. Um, you know, or, or go to Hampton Sydney. And, and, you know, I wanted to play. You know, it was still in me. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't ready to kind of give up on the actual action. And, uh, you know, I decided to go to, go to Hampton Sydney and play for Tony Shaver. Tony, you know, was uh, – 
an awesome coach, um, still is to this day and, and a, a tremendous uh, mentor for me. Uh, he, he was a walk-on for Dean Smith uh, at, at UNC and uh, used to play against Phil Ford every day in practice. And so he taught us all so much, I mean, over the years. And I've still got some of my best friends and memories, you know, from college and, and games that we had. And you know how it is. You remember – you don't necessarily remember all the games, but you remember all the times together outside of the games. And, uh, you know, we still are on – you know, we still connect with one another, our team, you know, on text and all that um, from that time. So, so when you, so, so now you're starting to form kind of your own basketball identity, right? Because um, like, obviously your dad has one style. Yeah. High school coach has a style. Tony has a style, you know, when you're a smart thinker, you have an opinion of your own. How did, how did you guys play? Because you, I think you shot yeah. a lot of threes, didn't you guys? You guys played. Yeah, Hampton Sydney. We were we played the Carolina system. I mean, it was it was totally the Carolina system. I mean, we pressed. You know, I mean, we would score a basket, and we were in twenty four, what they call twenty four, which is face guard your guy, and we'd have a guy either on or off the ball, um, and we were making your life miserable. You know, the entire the entire game, turning you, trapping you. Um, the way they used to play back years ago. And uh, occasionally we would switch to a zone, but that was rare. Um, you know, that was a momentum changer. Offensively, we were motion. It, he had some sets and all those same sets uh, that, that they would run, uh, you know, in transition, you know, reverse it, back screen, you know, the lobs, all that kind of stuff. We did, we played Carolina basketball at Hampton Sydney at that level. And, you know, very little scouting of the other team. Like, I don't even really remember a ton of scouting for the other – I know they did it, but it, it was all about us. It was never about, like, the other team. They're going to have to beat us. And, you know, he, he was just a really, really good coach. And uh, that was it was a fun time in my life. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. With just a few taps on the app, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. It's your one-stop shop. Angie can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. They get the difficulties that can come with home projects. They get it. Why not make it as simple as possible? 
Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real Steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. So, so you get them playing. Yeah. And then now you're just, was it only basketball? I mean, like, look, that's a great school. Yeah. I mean, my thought uh, initially, I did an internship my junior year um, in between my junior and senior year at Bank of America in Charlotte. And I worked for my godfather all summer on the trading floor. And so I thought about going into the financial. That was my, my initial goal. I was an econ major. I thought about going into financial world and uh, you know, while I enjoyed it that summer, I wasn't ready to give up hoops. And uh, you know, as I got later into my senior year, you know, it was apparent that I wanted to coach and uh, my my father was kind of at the height of his career. You know, they had won back-to-back ACC championships with Duncan Childress and those guys. Um, And then, you know, my brother was coaching, you know, at Alabama, you know, they had Spreewell and Ori and all those James Hollywood Robbins. I mean, they were, they, I mean, they actually, little known fact, my brother and my father played against one another in the NCAA tournament. You know, Alabama played Wake Forest, yeah. uh, which was pretty cool. Um, but, you know, it was, it was apparent that I wanted to do that. And, and your old buddy, Seth Greenberg, gave me a chance down at, down at South Florida and uh, helped me get into business and, um, and then gave me my second job or my third job at, at Virginia Tech, third or fourth. Yeah. So um, the, 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 he tried to recruit you, didn't he? Did. So he recruited me to Long Beach initially coming out. Like, you know, my yeah. dad had been, we moved out to California because my dad was an assistant under Tex, Tex yeah. Winter at, at Long Beach. And uh, I mean, he had it going at Long Beach State. There yeah. Was, he, he had, it was, a, it was a big time program and a small time league. And, um, but I just, I mean, part of it was, I really, you know, I, I probably won, I wanted to go to UCLA and they offered me, but it was just, there was, there was some baggage there in terms of them not offering me early and they had yeah. taken a kid in from a younger, from a kid a year behind me. And I just, I didn't feel it. And I maybe wanted to get up, get away as well. Like 
I, you know, I've, I've moved back since to California, but there's, there's a reason that I wanted to get away. I, I love, I, I, I know I love basketball, but I like, I want to play somewhere where they love basketball, where they care about it. It's more of a college yeah. atmosphere. And it, it took a second stop to get there. But when I transferred, uh, he and, and Dave Z, they put on the full court press to South Florida. Yeah. You know, we were, we were, we were going to have, uh, we were going to have minion. We we're going to have all just all the Jews <laughs> gather in Tampa and, and be at, at South Florida. And so, so yes, what year, what year was that? Cause I think I was, I might have been there. 96. And 96, 97, I sat out. Yeah, so I, I went there in 97. His first year, I was there. Yeah. Right. So he um, – yeah. yeah, so he, he, he did, like, two home visits. Yeah. It was a weird – he, like, did a home visit, and then he was like he, – he's like, I, I forgot some stuff. And I was just – I couldn't – I just couldn't do it. Just couldn't do it, couldn't yeah. Do it. Couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. Like, there was an ego part to it that, yeah. that I wasn't I – wasn't, willing to give up the, the high major thing or whatever. Sure. And, uh, and, and it, it wasn't anything personal. Seth, I love Seth. Um, yeah. so, okay. But Seth coaches very differently than yeah. especially differently than your dad, yeah. Terry Holland and Tony Shaver. What did you take from that experience when you're just he, getting into the business? Yeah. I mean, for, for him, he wasn't afraid of anybody. You know, uh, I think he, he's not that he was going to outwork because everybody works hard in college basketball. Like there's, there's a lot of hard workers out there. He works really smart. Um, and, you know, it's almost like he, like you, you have your back against the wall. He's got this underdog team and he knew what it was going to take uh, with his team to get them to fight and be tough to a certain level um, to be competitive. And not only be competitive, but to win. I mean, like what he did at Virginia Tech, you know, and, you know, his time there, you know, it was, he got that program going again. Uh, it, it, it had fallen on hard times, you know, had some transition in terms of moving leagues and all of that. And he just infused this immediate energy and no fear. And, you know, he got but to the how, students. But how? I agree. I, I... How do you do it? How do you infuse toughness and energy and belief when it doesn't exist? Yeah, I mean, I think initially it's it's you know the recruiting side of things. You know, you have to you have to. We were fortunate in that you know when when he first got there, he signed. He ended up signing Xavier uh, Daldell, who he was recruiting at South Florida. Xavier um, turned out to be an All ACC performer. He was just a hard worker and had no fear and had a chip on his shoulder and 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 wanted to prove people wrong. So I think that's one of the first ways that you do it is you have to have others within your program that feel like they've been, you know, slighted a little bit and they have something yeah. to prove. And we had a group of guys that felt that way. Um, Jamon Gordon was his backcourt mate. I mean, Jamon Gordon was recruited by the Georgia Techs and some of these other schools, you know, overlooked probably by his local schools in Florida State and Florida and, and Miami. Um, and he came up to Virginia Tech and it was open for them to play because, you know, we didn't have anybody else really at that point. And, you know, they just they just took it. Those two guys took it and ran with it. And we had a young player in Coleman Collins who just kind of grew into an amazing role and, and uh, you know, became a dominant, you know, player for us. And we just kept recruiting, you know. Um, I think one of the things that, you know, he, he really tried to do was, 
play off of the success that football had already established. Right. Like there's a built-in fan base that, at a football school like that, you know, Virginia Tech. And so all of the cheers and the things that they were excited about, um, you know, we tried to move into Castle Coliseum. And the students already were excited about the, the, the university as a whole. Like you walk around that school, you don't see any other shirts. You know, there's some, certain schools where it's like, you know, uh, Wake, for instance, you know, they, they're just mixed allegiances in that community. And it's not Wake's fault. It's just, you know, you have UNC, you have Duke and Carolina and uh, NC State. They're also close together. Um, naturally, there's mixed allegiances. Well, in a place like a college town, like you're talking about, there aren't any. Like everybody's for that for that school. And so and you, don't play wear, on that. you don't wear another color. Like that, yeah, you that's don't. the thing that I think people don't, if you're, if you haven't been a part of it, you don't understand. Like if, if you live in Stillwater or you're yeah. an Oklahoma state person, you don't own anything that's red. You don't own yeah. anything that's red, any shade yeah. of red. You just don't own you. Everything you have, like you fall back on orange, right? Like yeah. that's just the way it works. And whether it's maroon or orange or whatever, when you're Virginia tech, like that's all you own. You're like, you're just all in. Yeah. And so he was able to play on that. And, you know, he's, he's obviously a, a, a great motivator, a great, um, you know, communicator. And, uh, you know, he, he, he made it a point to get to know the students, you know, to, to, to really get out in the community and, and uh, you know, be a, be a voice, you know, for the basketball program. Hey, we're, we're here too. We're trying to do something special, you know, just, just get on board with us. And, uh, and the players obviously did the bulk of the work, you know, they began to have success and, and, and play a tough brand of basketball that that community really fell in love with. Like his teams were tough and that was all built in practices and, and just the work ethic, you know, that, that he, he established and, you know, um, yeah. So, so then you went where? Left there and went to UNC Charlotte um, and worked for Alan Major at, at, uh, at UNC Charlotte. So he was just leaving Ohio State. They'd been in the Final Four. And at that point, Charlotte was in the Atlantic 10. Um, and they were adding Butler and VCU and, and all the other teams that, you know, I know Butler since left, but are currently in the, in the league. And I mean, it was a big time league um, and it was a big time opportunity for me. Um, it was a chance for me to go work for a guy who was going to be a first time head coach. And so I wanted to do that again, um, you know, and, and it was home, you know, as well. I hadn't worked in North Carolina in a long time. My brother worked there for Lutz. And so I knew the history of the program. Yeah. Um, you know, I felt like it was a Xavier kind of situation, you know. Um, it was for a while, yeah. Yeah, and it was. I mean, they were competitive with Cincinnati and Louisville and, and all those teams. And, and uh, you know, while we didn't achieve everything that we wanted to achieve while we were there, we, we recruited some great guys and, and, you know, had a good experience, without a doubt. I, I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. He had he, – he, you took over as interim. I did, yeah, my last year. Yeah. What – what first take me through the experience of when a coach and I think he had some health issues too. Right. And then, and then um, how did, how, how does it go down or how did it go down for you in that, you know, the AD comes in and says like, Hey, you're the guy. Yeah. I mean, I I think it was, does the AD need to, how how did it all work? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was the AD ended up, 
you know, communicating that to, to all of us. Um, but at the same time, Alan was intimately involved in that, um, you know, in terms of, you know, spearheading, spearheading that and what was, what was best, what he thought was best for the program. But there are other experienced assistant coaches on that staff. I mean, Desmond Oliver, uh, Orlando Vandross, both, you know, are, are friends to this day. And, you know, I think our approach was we're just going to do this together. While I have to actually be the interim head coach, we're going to do this thing together. because That's the only way it's going to work. And I didn't want that, that separation. Um, and so we kind of kept doing our jobs, you know. Um, you know, we had the respect of the players and, and, and you know, obviously all three of us had kind of been intimately involved. We recruited together there uh, a little bit differently than some other places that I've worked where it's like, hey, you go recruit this guy and he's your guy and whatever. You know, we recruited together. So that, that part of it was not an issue. You know, our whole goal was to do the best for those players that we could do um, while understanding that, you know, their leader was going to be gone for a bit. And uh, we didn't know how long it would be. It ended up being that entire season, um, or not entire season, but from January on um, for the remainder of the year. And, uh, and that was a hard ending for us. You know, I think we were – I don't remember exactly what our record was, but we lost in the first round of the tournament in a really close game. Um, I think it might have been to middle uh, at the time. I can't remember who it was. But um, anyway um, – we were like eight and 11, you know, we weren't, we weren't great, obviously, but we weren't, we weren't terrible either. Um, we had some really good players, you know, at that point, a lot of them went on to high majors after, you know, Alan and them, uh, Alan and us were let go. Um, and you know, we, we, uh, it was a tough ending for us for sure. And that was a dark time for me personally getting fired. So, you coach long enough, you're going to get fired. You know, it's just the way it is. So th- that's, that's why I asked. Okay, so, you know, I, I think one of the one of the hard things uh, in, for fans and the media is the understanding of like when people get fired. Like we just yeah. we very callously go like, well, he should get fired, and he yeah. and just, he makes a bunch yeah. of money. Like, hold on, man, you got all these assistant coaches, and yeah. while they're they're making decent livings, like they got to go home and they have wives and kids and they're going to move and they got to try and go find a job. Like it is. um, Okay. So uh, what do you remember about losing, you lose your job at Charlotte, then what, 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 what's that? Yeah. I I was devastated. You know, I was devastated. I felt like I let Alan down, Um, you know, the players, um, you know, and obviously circumstances or circumstances, you know, we could have won some of the games we lost, but we didn't, Um, you know, and, and, you know, it is what it is. The results were the results. And no hard feelings, obviously. They made the decision that they felt was right for the, you know, the, the program at the time um, and still have a good relationship with, with, with the folks there at Charlotte. Um, but, you know, for me personally, the biggest issue that I had going on, you know, in my family was my son was sick. You know, it's been pretty well documented. Connor uh, has OCD. And so my wife was not hiding, but she was really – during that time where I was the interim coach, she was trying to keep it off of me. And, but he was getting worse, you know, as every day went. And, um, you know, it got to a point where the season ended and he was really, really bad. And, uh, you know, you know, there, I remember one weekend I had to take my youngest 
and, and go down to Charleston just to get him out of the house. Um, Owen, you know, just to get him away from, you know, seeing Connor in a bad state. And uh, Lucy just obviously was an amazing uh, force for Connor and uh, led us through that. And that's the hard deal. You know, they had two different stents, you know, in, in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, doing therapy, you know, at a, at a hospital. Um, and so she had to get up and move all the way out there with him, rent a, an apartment, which obviously costs money. You know, you think about that, like all of a sudden we're fired, no job. She's got to move to, to Nashville, you know, and we got bills to pay, you know, it's, it's, it's not, uh, it's not going, those aren't going anywhere. And uh, during that time, I think he left in August and he and Lucia left in August and I had accepted a job at Lenore Ryan university. I was very fortunate to, to get that job and, and uh, as a division two head job, um, you know, at a, at a place that, um, you know, to this day, I wouldn't be where I'm at, you know, had I not been presented with that opportunity, you know, and I'm forever thankful for that, for sure. Saved our lives. Okay. So now you have your own program. Yeah. And you've been at all sorts of different levels. You have your family and you're trying to figure that out. Uh, how'd you put together your first team at Ryan? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things I, I was lucky again, um, you know, I followed a coach and John Lentz, you know, who had been there for 28 years and great coach. He's Rick Barnes, teammate, you know, and they both played at Lenore Ryan. And, uh, he, he, he was a, a coach that, you know, I don't, I don't know how to describe him, but like his, his players knew exactly what he wanted. He was a tough coach. All right. And so this, this, the team that I inherited was very disciplined. And for a young coach to come in in that capacity to inherit guys, I mean, they were, they were already trained. He had well trained them. And so I walked into a great situation Maybe we didn't have exactly, you know, the talent, you know, that some of the other programs in that conference had. But we were able to recruit and add a couple of guys that, you know, when, when combined with the returners, ended up being, you know, a storybook season for us. Um, and, you know, I found just some amazing uh, players there. Uh, still have amazing relationships with those guys to this day. Forever grateful for them. Um, you know, for all their hard work, but that was a fun year, man. Sweet 16 had some great, great memories. So you, so you inherited a tough team, maybe not as talented as others in that league. And then I lost. Yeah, we recruited. And then we added to that. We, we recruited a kid named Keenan Palmore who was transferring from uh, old dominion and Jeff Jones. And he had one year remaining and he played for old dominion. He was, he was kind of a, you know, I don't know what you would call it, backup maybe or whatever. He wasn't a, a full-time starter. He did start some games, but, um, you know, heading into his senior year, it was apparent he was going to be a backup, and he didn't want to do that. And he found us in Lenore Run, And, you know, that connection was, was very strong. He ended up being an All-American. Uh, he had four or five triple doubles, you know, that year. I mean, he was just an amazing player. And he came into a, a group of guys with no ego, it was all about, he was, he was an amazing passer. You'll love this about him. Like he literally made like two, three pointers the entire year. And our team shattered the three point record. 
you know, for the conference, you know, all time shattered the, the record for, uh, certainly Lenore Ryan. And we were number one in, in division two and three pointers made per game at like right at 13, just under 13. But it was all because of him. Like he was getting guys shots over and over and over again. He would just get in the lane and, and, and get it to him. But he also knew that he wasn't a three point shooter. And so he, he ended up taking two shots at the end of shot clocks. You know? and, and I was in one of them went in and I was hoping he was going to get a whole season and not make one. <laughs> I was actually pulling for that because what a story, right? You know, everybody yeah. shoots the three now and it's like, care. Like he just wanted to get in the lane and, you know, and, and play to his strengths. But that was one of the reasons that we won. And, and so then so what was your decision like to leave there? You know, it was, it was a hard decision. Uh, it was an emotional decision because I'd found some, some guys there that had changed my life that I love dearly. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I understood that, you know, coaching, being a head coach in division one is, 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 is a hard thing. It's hard to get those jobs. And there are only 344 or whatever that number is of them. And it's very competitive. And when you have an opportunity to do it, you know, I'm a, I'm a big believer. Yeah, they're, they're good jobs. They're, they're certain jobs are better than others, but there's no bad division one. You go make it. You can make it what you want to make it. And, uh, you know, I felt like UMBC was, it was a great time to go here. You know, they had some, some hard times, uh, but they were building a brand new arena. Uh, we're in a geographic footprint that, you know, basketball is, is important. Like you were talking about, um, and, you know, I felt like, you know, we could build something special here. So what was your first team like? First team, again, I, I inherited a group um, that were just great guys. You know, I had guys on, on the team that were 4.0 students. I had guys that had transferred, one transferred from VCU who ended up being, you know, probably my, be my best player, um, you know, who would just happen there. As I began to have my meetings with the players, while they hadn't won together at UMDC, one thing, one common theme was they had all won other places. You know, one, one had played at Brewster Academy with Donovan Mitchell, you know, and they didn't lose a game. Uh, you know, another one played at DeMatha, you know, and, and won championships. And so as I went through that team, they all won elsewhere. And so it was all about – and the coaches had won elsewhere. And so it was all about – we made it, hey, let's win together now. We, we all know what it feels like to win. Let's make sure that we're doing that every day. So my whole thing was we're going to establish a winning culture, and that means we got to compete to win every day. And we compete with one another first, and we prepare, you know, for our opponents, and then we begin to compete compete against them. Okay, so this is and, – and, again, if you're tight on time, you tell me. So this yeah. is what's fascinating to me. There hasn't been a – job that you've gone to where and again you know there's probably some guys you're not mentioning but most coaches confide in coaches and people like me and they're like you know wait till i get my guys in here right and yeah, they, yeah, yeah. you know and they they run they run guys off they call them in and and they say like look man you're a great kid you're just never gonna play here yada 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 and they just buy time until they're their recruits come in and now they're, they're all in, which I always find to be a mistake. Yeah. Um, is that what, why do you, it does, not, do you not have, seem to have that approach? Is it because of the, the guys that preceded you 
left you or is it that it's just a philosophical belief that you have? Yeah, I think it's a belief. I mean, for sure. I mean, they, they chose that school for a reason and, you know, they chose those coaches and they have a right to, if they want to leave, you know, when you first get there, then that's fine. I'm not trying to hold anybody, hold anybody here, but if they want to stay, I want them to be able to, they have their scholarship. They, they want to, they want to do that. I want them to do that, but they're going to be a part of this program and do it the way we ask them to do it and, and all that. Um, but you know, I, I believe retention is a key thing, you know, in, in, in any college basketball program or any endeavor uh, for that matter. Um, you know, when you when you have folks that, you know, are all in, you want to keep them. You know, you look at all the great college football and basketball programs over the years. You know, the head coach stays there. The assistant coaches, you know, for the most part, stay there unless they're moving on to head jobs. Those are the teams that, that usually win. Um, and if you have a lot of volatility and change every year, and I know it's going to be harder, you know, as they change these rules. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. Um, retention's a huge thing, you know, Virginia Tech football is like that. I, I, I guess, I guess this is an honest question, but why, why do we, I, we, we seem to let these exterior forces be a part of this change when, you and I have been around this our entire lives and we know that's actually not, and look, I'm a transfer. Okay. But I, yeah. and I was, before I even got, they found out I got in trouble, I was considering transferring. So I'm, I'm not saying that I think there's a, there's a, maybe another discussion. I think that one of the, the biggest issues is that you don't get enough time to truly recruit somebody and know yeah. that kid and him know you so that, so that when you, when he shows up on campus, you actually know what you got on both sides. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think that would, I think that would help. But it, it feels like we're all like, you know, just the times that you're yeah. gonna be able to transfer and not sit out. Like, why? Why? Because somebody on the on on Twitter who's never been a part of it doesn't understand that every freshman wants to transfer. Yeah. They all, they either want to transfer to the NBA or to another school. <laughs> right? Because it's but but you know what else? Almost every college kid wants to transfer. Because yeah. your freshman year is hard. It's hard. Really hard. Yeah. You know, it's hard. You have classes are hard yeah. you're away from home you have to manage a budget you have to manage your time you have to manage your relationships like it's really hard and imagine what it's um, like in a pandemic you know like i feel for the yeah. kids that are freshmen right now this is their first experience in college my son's one of them right. and it's just you know it's not normal you know you're getting your nose poked and tested constantly and you know you got to go back to your dorm room and, or your wherever you live and you know i can't be exposed to anyone it's just not a normal situation and, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, everybody's sacrificing certainly this year, you know, hopefully it'll get back to normal at some point. At bed three, six, five, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar, whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. 
This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. With just a few taps on the app, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. It's your one-stop shop. Angie can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. They get the difficulties that can come with home projects. They get it. Why not make it as simple as possible? Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER okay so how did you, how'd you make it hit? Like what, what, when, when, when did it like, this is going to work? Yeah. I mean, I think that first year, I mean, I, I called that, that, that team, the foundational team, you know, and, and we compared it to a house, you know, when you establish a foundation, that foundation has got to be strong. It can't have any cracks in it. And I inherited some great guys and I think going back to the culture thing, you know, trying to create a winning culture and, you know, going back to what you said, it's not about what the previous staff did or, or saying, oh, they had a bad culture or whatever. We're trying to change the culture. No, we're not trying to do that. We're trying to establish our own winning culture. I don't, I don't care what happened before. I want to make sure that, that every day that they come in here, they're trying to win. And, you know, that means against one another, whether it's a one-on-one drill or whatever it is, like we're going to be competitive. And if you're not, you're fooling yourself because when the game happens, you're going to get beat you know, on a regular basis. And, you know, this game is, is played with physicality. It's played, you know, with the physical side of things, but it's also played, you know, on the mental side of things. And if you don't have both, 
you know, you're going to get beat. And so we spend a lot of time, you know, with our guys working on, working on both. And, you know, and then, you know, I think distractions are, are a big part of why teams don't win. And I was very fortunate in that first year, did not have many distractions uh, in terms of off the court things that can derail, you know, a team and, and, uh, and its ability to, to go for it. Uh, these guys were all in. Um, and yeah, we weren't great, but we still won 21 games. They had won prior to that seven straight 20 loss seasons. And so this kid, this team, you know, had the biggest turnaround in division one, you know, that, that year. And, you know, while we didn't win our goal or make our goal, when make the NCAA tournament, it was evident that everybody was coming back and we had a chance to be really good that next year. Now we were going to have still have to be, you know, a Vermont team. It was spectacular, you know. Um, so sometimes when guys come back, sometimes when guys come back, it's not a good thing, right? Yeah. Because, because, because they have, they have, everybody expects more. Yeah. Know? Fans expect more, but everybody expects, expects more. Um, what was that next year like? Well, the next year was the NCAA tournament year. And, yeah. you know, yeah, we got off to a, a good start. Um, we did have a few injuries, you know, where Jairus missed a game or two. Jordan missed a game or two, my, my kind of guards there. KJ missed the first two games. It was the starting point guard, um, you know, when we played Arizona and, and SMU. And so, you know, I knew we had a chance when we were playing Arizona and, you know, they couldn't really separate from us until the very end. Um, you know, they would get out, you know, eight, nine points, and then all of a sudden we'd close it back. You know, and then halftime we're down seven or eight or something like that. Then they get it out to 16, and then all of a sudden it's three. You know, that that particular team was resilient, and we played that particular game without K.J. Mara, who ended up – who was our point guard. Uh, right. He was kind of the maestro of the whole team. Um, and we were still in it. And so I felt like this particular team had a chance, you know, to do something special, at least in the non-conference uh, uh, told me that. And then once we got into conference play, we were pretty consistent. You know, we, we lost, even though we lost to Vermont twice, we only lost one other game, I think, um, you know, in conference play. And so we knew, you know, if we wanted to make it, eventually we were going to have to go through Vermont, you know, at that point. And, uh, you know, obviously we were able to do that in the final game. What's that experience like? Because everybody focuses on the Virginia game. Yeah. But- but the Vermont game gets you actually like that's that's the big one. That's the one. Yeah. The, the rest is icing. Yeah. What what do, you, what do you remember about that game? Yeah, I mean it was just a hotly contested game. Uh, the place is packed, obviously. Um, I think we're up maybe a couple at half, uh, and and we were fortunate to be up. I mean they were they were playing well. We made some shots at the end of the half just to just to kind of eke that out. Um. You know, what I remember most is KJ, our point guard, getting his fourth foul with about eight minutes to go or 12 minutes nice. to go. And I was like, oh, crap, we're, we're in trouble here. And we kind of locked into something, you know, that particular game. I put him back in early and I changed the matchup, you know, for who he was going to guard. I put him on a shooter, you know, which wasn't a normal thing for us. You know, he always guarded the other team's point guard. He was defensive player of the year that year. Um, even though he's five seven, and so he, he he would always pester like your son, pester the other team's point guard. 
And Vermont had a great point guard that year. Trey Bell Haynes was spectacular. He was hard to pester. And we ended up moving the matchup and put a bigger guy on Bell Haynes. And KJ ended up guarding the shooter. And so it allowed him to kind of stay in the game longer, you know, without risking a foul. Um, and so that was a huge key. And then at the end, you know, obviously Jairus was Jairus. Jairus worked really hard for that moment. And, you know, I couldn't have been more proud of him and, and the, the growth that he showed over the two years that I was fortunate enough to coach him. He was a great player, a great scorer, dynamic player. He was the best player in the league to me that year, uh, even though he didn't get player of the year. Um, and for him to have the ball at the end of the game in that moment uh, was the right thing. And it was the way it should have ended. And, uh, you know, I wanted to run another play and KJ's yelling at me, no, don't run that play because it would have required him to give the ball up. <laughs> and so I had to so trust what, those what, guys. What did, you want, what did you want to run? So I wanted to run uh, just one of our plays called Euro 2 where, you know, KJ starts it and then he flips it back to, to Jairus. Jairus gets it, you know, a pick and roll, ball screen comes out, and then he's able to kind of get downhill and make the play. So what and it would have required – Jairus already had the ball, and I knew yeah. I wasn't calling timeout. Right. Um, and so – is, is that typically your style in terms of not calling a timeout? Usually, yeah, usually, you know, I like to I like my guys to be able to know what to do in those instances. Um, not to say that I won't call timeouts. I certainly will, you know, if, I, if it's not going well. Um, but at the same time, you know, I like to be able to coach from the side there where they can't get it set. And yes. I like to go and trust my guys. And, and that particular team, I had no reason not to trust them. Um, you know, I had three really good guards that – you know, knew what to do. And uh, I've, I've never understood. There's a lot, there's lots of coaches who like, not only you practice this all year, you play it all year, you're yeah. right in front of your bench. Yeah. Right? And yet they want to call a timeout, which allows the other guy to set their defense. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't understand. I, I, I really, for the life of me, don't understand. Yeah. Philosoph- philosophical. Yeah. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, you want to get somebody in or whatever for a matchup. Yeah, but I, I I don't understand. Anyway, okay, so he has the ball. What what what's my job at that point was to get everybody the hell out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> That's good coaching. That's good coaching. Get it get it space, baby. Get it space. Let him go. <laughs> and he delivered. You know, he delivered. So it's not complicated, right? It's simple. So double zeros in the clock. Yeah. You look up what you look up at the scoreboard. You look at your family. Like what? What? What do you remember about the moment? Yeah, I mean, I, I remember hugging my kid. I remember hugging my wife. You know, and and every player. Um, you know, I, I remember having a moment with my AD. You know, who believed in me and our staff. Uh, he's crying. You know, we're all crying. Um, my my best friend in the world. Uh, Griff Aldrich, who's now the coach of Longwood, um, you know, was a lawyer and uh, in, in my college teammate, uh, decided he wanted to coach, you know. Um, so that moment. Came, yeah, so he came with me when I first came to UMBC. And uh, so he and I were hugging big time, you know, to have that experience with your best friend, you know, it was pretty cool. Um, 
And so, yeah, I mean, it was an emotional time. I mean, that game was way more emotional than, you know, the Virginia game, obviously. Um, not obviously, but for us it was because you know how it is. You, 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 it comes down to that one weekend. Like, you have the best season and we just experienced it. Comes down, it comes down. We were the number one seed. We got knocked out. You know, the other team gets hot at the end and, you know, last eight minutes and, hey, the season's over. You walk in the locker room and it's like, what just happened? You know, yeah. it's, it's crazy. Um, so, and, so uh, you, life so of the coach. So you get back and that championship's a little bit early, right? Yeah. So now you, you got you to get ready. What, what was Selection Sunday like? Selection Sunday was fun. You know, they had a big party on campus and, you know, the typical thing. Uh, CBS wanted to do the in-person, whatever, live look-in, you know, with us, you know, because it was our first time going to the tournament since 2008. And we had a, you know, a crazy ending, obviously, uh, in, in the conference final. And so that was great. And then, you know, we see Virginia's name pop up. <clears throat> I was expecting, quite honestly, to be a 15. I, we had a good team that year. Um, I felt our numbers would be such that we would be in that 15 line. And so I was really thinking Duke, you know, I was thinking some of those teams that were on the two line that we would end up playing. And uh, so I was a little bit shocked. And I did a, a, a – we all did a collective gulp and gasp <laughs> when we saw Virginia – uh, because they were just so good that year. I mean, they were so good. And we didn't know Hunter was going to be out at that point, you know. Um, so it was just – and for me, a lot of emotions because I grew up there. You know, going back to that, you know, I grew up there. It's where I first fell in love with hoops, you know, got a lot of respect for Tony and his staff. So it was – it was that that part was, was kind of crazy. Um, um, you know, and the bridge and everything and- – Terry Holland staff. Yeah. Okay, so you throw in the tape. Yeah. And you're sitting there with your staff. What'd you think? Yeah, I mean, I thought this is the best team in college basketball. They're the most well-balanced team on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, are we going to be able to score 36? You know, I mean, that's the reality. That's what every coach, when you're getting ready to play Virginia, it's like, you know, they may not, they may not go to 80 on you, all right, but can you get to 40? You know, I mean, that's the reality. Um, you know, they're going to get the 60, most likely. They're probably going to get the 70 if they want. They don't really go past that very often, or at least in that, that era they didn't. Um, you know, I'd seen them play teams earlier in the year that they held the 36 points, NCAA tournament teams. And so we knew we, we had a tough, tough task, a tough draw. One of the things that helped us with that draw was – weeks of preparation, you know, for Vermont, you know, they play a similar brand of defense. Um, you know, they, they guard you hard, but they, they don't allow threes, you know, they, they, they guard the two extremely well at the rim. Uh, their rotations are, are pristine. Um, and so we had a lot of prep, you know, leading into the Virginia game again that type of defense um and that that certainly helped us offensively when did you know hunter was up uh not until we were on the plane going down there yeah so that was probably a, on a wednesday maybe two or three days before the game something like that i think that's about when we figured it out all right so so you land and now all of a sudden you're like wait a second hold on this is a it's a it's a, well, it's a 
That was a big deal. Yeah, that was a big deal. Yeah, because whenever they needed a basket, they were going to him. You know, and like, and sometimes it was a post up, you know, whatever. If it ever got dicey, you know, they were running something to get him the ball in and near the basket or in in kind of a mid post area or up up near the elbow and ISO situation. And so I knew he would be a problem. Not that I felt like we could guard all the other guys, but, you know, I, I knew that had the potential to, to change it somewhat, you know, um, at least, at least it did. It certainly didn't hurt. Let's just say that. But it also, it also defensively changed them because now they had to play two traditional bigs. Yeah. And, you know, so, okay. So, you know, I know how it works. I've, I've been in those locker rooms and I've never been in a locker room where, you know, couldn't make you believe you had a chance. Yeah. And that if you execute the game plan, like we're going to win this game, fellas, and here's how we're going to do it. And you're like, ah, we're going to do it. And um, what was the belief level like from your team in your prep? I, I knew never to doubt that particular team. You know, I wasn't saying that we, you know, I would never say that we knew we were going to win the game. You know, our, our goal was to be competitive in the game and to be in the game and, and to have a chance at the end. I mean, that, that was really our whole focus. Um, obviously the result ended up being totally different, you know, than what anybody ever imagined, but it was all about how are we going to stay in it on offensive defense? And we felt like defense was the way for us to stay in the game, to be honest. Um, like we knew scoring on them was going to be insane, insanely difficult. And so we felt like we had a very good defensive team that year. And our goal was pressure those guards as much as you can. Um, and, and not allow them to center the ball. I mean, that was kind of our whole, our whole thing. So you, you felt like your defense was the way in which you'd win, you'd, you'd, you'd win the game, right? Yeah. So, uh, I felt like defense was our way to stay in the game. Like I didn't want our guys, like when you play a Virginia, Virginia team, frustration sets in, you know how it is. You're a player. Like if you're not scoring, Sometimes oh, that, that can impact your defense. Your then your defense. defense breaks down. Yeah, yeah your defense yeah. breaks down. And so that was our whole message to them. Like, we can't get seduced into an offensive game against them or get frustrated because our offense isn't going well. We have to guard every single possession like it's the last one. And we, 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 we did some specific things relative to them and how they run that mover blocker and all that. We felt like we needed to pressure them. We had seen a lot of teams just back up, you know, and, and not get after them. We had seen a lot of teams not try to run on them, you know, as well, because they do a good job of getting back on defense and transition. And we, I wanted our guys to take the opportunities early in transition if they were there, because you're not just going to be able to hold the ball against them and move it around and get a great shot. Like sometimes the best shot you can get against them is early. And so I wanted our guys to try to do that. And if they had it, Let's roll with it. But at the same time, don't take a bad one. We practiced all week shooting against hands, you know, and pressure uh, because they're always going to be there pretty much in front of you. And you're going to have – we practiced well behind the line shooting threes because we knew, you know, those are the shots that that you can get against them. We were honest with our team about, like, if you're going to win this game, you're going to have to outshoot them and you're going to have to keep them from shooting threes. It can't just be take away the rim. And then all of a sudden they're getting 10 threes as well, just like us. We're not going to win with that. And so we had to take away their three, defend like crazy and rebound, 
And we had to make threes, you know, and layups, basically. I mean, that's really the, the gameplay. It wasn't, wasn't much more than that. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, the, like, like you also you spread them out. You had a, Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, we changed our angles on our ball screens and all of that. We didn't set middles, you know, because they they're so well schooled at stepping out. We set all flats. Um, you know, that was that was kind of the, you know, the game plan. Right, there, that, I think that's my. I think that's one thing though that like, you know, now a couple of years later, maybe you still don't get credit for. It wasn't just because people go back. Well, they didn't have DeAndre Hunter, so. You know, like, yeah. no, you guys did some specific things yeah. that made it really way more difficult. You knew how, because, because they are, they were, and this is where I had a, I had a long conversation with Tony, like a week later. And I, and, and my, my message to him was like, you can't, you can't just do what you do. And you have to try different things, play left-handed some, you know, f- figure out a way. I mean, like, Okay, Hunter gets hurt. What lineups had you tried all year long? In 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 case, what if he got three fouls in the first half? You know, yeah. what if a kid what if a kid is sick, and uh, and and what if a team knows what you do and designs and has personnel to execute and make you chase him? So I, I think you don't to this day. I just we don't cover things the way I, I mean I I just wish there was like a, a college basketball matchup show where I go like. Yeah. It wasn't just that they made a bunch of threes. It was they yeah. did some things specifically Together. that were fascinating yeah. and that you should get credit for. Okay, so you get to the game. Um, games can be won and lost in layup lines. Oh, they yeah, no question. question. No right? Question. When the guys start peeking, they go, holy shit, they're freaking, they look good. And we, <laughs> we, we, we don't. Um, what'd you, when you looked your team in the eye, what did you see when you're standing in front of them? Yeah, I mean, I saw I saw a bunch of guys that have been overlooked, and and that were, including myself, you know, that you know had an opportunity, you know, had an opportunity, and I felt like there was a reason that we were in that building uh, at that moment. What that reason was, I wasn't quite sure. I wasn't. I, I didn't necessarily think that we were going to win the game going into that, right? And while I'm giving that speech, but my speech to them prior to that game was a thankful one. I thank those guys for bringing me and my family back to Charlotte, where I was let go. Uh, that was it. You know, I just said, look, you know, this this. You know, this business is extremely hard. In a lot of ways, we all have our own stories, right? Jarrett started at VCU with Shaka. It didn't go well. He ends up at Robert Morris, stays there for half the year. Then he lands at UMBC. KJ, you know, gets let go at Texas A&M Corpus Christi and, uh, you know, has to go to JUCO for a year, you know, uh, rehabilitates himself and then he, he, he doesn't have a division one offer except for us and ends up there. Joe Shermer had one D one offer, you know, and it was UMBC. Like you go around the room and it was just like a bunch of overlooked guys, you know, that it had, that had a story. And I said, we're all here in this moment together. We've done this together, you know, at this time. And you guys in particular have done this for me. And so I'm forever grateful you know, for what you guys have done. Now let's go out there and just show everybody our passion and, and, and belief in one another, you know, that we can compete with this team. And, 
you know, I, I, I shed some tears. I'll be quite frank with you, you know, while I was given that speech and it was very emotional. Um, and that was, you know, not the first time I, I do that with my team, not all the time, but you know, I'm real. And, uh, you know, I think they appreciated that they understood the message and more than anything, they were ready. They knew they had an opportunity to make history. And so they wanted to go for it. And, uh, you know, there were some bumps in that first half, but the defense kept us in, you know, it was 21, 21, um, both teams. Okay. So, yeah. so, so, so 21, 21. Yeah. And I remember I'm sitting there watching the game and I, I said to, I'm with a group of guys and I go, they got them. And they're like, he's like, Virginia's going to kick their ass in the second half. You know how this goes, right? Like they got, I said, I said, they can't guard them. Yeah. They can't, they're, they're, they're too quick. They, they can't guard the ball. Yeah. You know, and the, the, it, it's the, it's the, what we always learn and we try and tell kids all the time is like, Hey man, you want to get on the floor. Yeah. The first thing you have to be able to do is guard the basketball. Yeah. Right. And it's the best thing that they do in Virginia. And I felt like you had them spread out. They were kind of chasing, they were chasing you. And I was like, yeah. if they could just hit a couple, hit yeah. a couple jump shots, you know, they just, they can't, it's a bad matchup because yeah. you got their, you got their bigs 30 feet from the basket yeah. chasing you around. And um, what's the name of that big white kid that, that Virginia had? He had a great salt. name. Salt. Huh? Salt. Jack, Jack Salt. Salt. Yeah. Jack Salt. Right. Jack Salt is a great name. And I had done their game. I think earlier in the year when they had played in um, Destin, Florida. Yeah. And I, and I loved him and I was just like, yeah, but you know, those tough twos, you know, back to the basket post up twos, like there's a reason analytics tell you those are a tough shot. Yeah. And you guys were playing the post, right? I was like, I don't, I don't think Jack Salt can score 20. And I think that you guys can hit some threes and the guys around like, nah, watch this shit. They're going to, you know, BC is going to score 10 in the second half. Okay. So you come in that you come in at half. Okay. Yeah. And the way it works is hey, the co the players run in and you meet with your staff. What'd your staff say? I think they, they were optimistic. You know, I mean, they, they always give really good thoughts. And we talk about offense first and then we talk about the defense and just little, little things that we need to pay attention to. And so really halftime was about, you know, highlighting things that we tried to do going into the game to actually get them done uh, in the first half or did we not? I thought we did. You know, I felt like we, we were good on the glass. Uh, they got a couple of offensive rebounds, but we were pretty solid there. I think offensively, you know, pressure, our pressure was, was solid. Um, you know, they were able, they weren't able to just get into the paint constantly on us, you know? Um, and I felt like our ability to navigate the screens, like that was a big, we worked on that a ton. All right. Navigating, defending that mover blocker, because, you know, you get as soon as you go the wrong way, they make you pay with a three. Right. And so our, our goal was we, we compared it to Tom Brady. If you let Tom Brady sit back in the pocket as the point guard yep. and, and just, you know, see everything, he's going to pick, you, pick apart. you apart. And so we said, pressure the guy. I don't care who it is. If the big guy has it out top, if the point guard has it, Whoever that guy is that's going from the wing, centering the ball, try to keep him on his side and just pressure the crap out of him just to disrupt the timing of, of their screening angles and to give the defender time to get through. And so 
we worked on that a ton and I thought that was pretty successful for us. You know, we were always kind of there when they caught the ball. I mean, that was the key. I don't care which way you go, just be right there when they catch it. And, um, you know, I thought that was a big key for us. And then offensively, our guys felt like, Hey, we missed some shots out there. You know, we can, we can, we can get some shots against them. We just got to knock them in. And, you know, we got off to a good start right out of the, right out of the gate out of halftime. And uh, which was not a, an, un, uh, something that I hadn't seen before with this team. This team is, you know, they, they've been tied at half and then come out and, and, and gone on runs, you know, big runs, you know, at times during the season. But I would also say it wasn't an unnatural position for Virginia either. They had been tied or down one or up two plenty of times. You know, like so for them, there was no reason for concern at that point. It was just, hey, we're going to win the game. You know, we're going to figure it out. So, when did you know? After, I mean, I probably, I, I probably knew that we had a a significant chance around that eight minute timeout right in there. Like we had a we had a solid chance because we'd gone up so so much, and I had seen our team. My job at that point was, hey, don't take the foot off the gas because as soon as you take the foot off the gas. <laughs> You start, you start coughing the ball up, you know, they lay it up, you know, because they're going to change the way that they're playing. Like, they're going to come after you. They're going to foul you more. They're going to – you're going to hope that the refs don't call it. Uh, they're just going to go for it. They're going to shoot it quicker. Um, can we get the rebounds, you know, because they're shooting it quicker? Like, all of those things. And play forward. I think that's what I kept saying. Play forward. Take it when it's there. And, uh, you know, the guys ended up doing that. And, and the, 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 again, the, the parts of the story that aren't told enough are, it wasn't like you hit a miracle shot, yeah right? It wasn't like some things that go, you got a crazy call. It was a no doubter. It was a blowout. Mm-hmm. What, what are those moments like as you're looking up and no, it's because I'll, I'll just, and I know, again, I, I, I understand you've been gracious for your time. My first game, calling a game in the NCAA tournament, or second, excuse me, was, um, Southern against Gonzaga and, oh, and, and Gonzaga ended up losing the next game, uh, to Wichita, but it was tied or uh, Southern was leading with four minutes to go. And I'm sitting there with Spiro Ditas, and we're sitting there going, Holy shit. Like, we're gonna call the first <laughs> and you know, Southern's got this incredible band, but it's in Salt Lake city. And suddenly there's like 16,000 Southern fans. Like what? Is yeah, going yeah, on? Going right? right. Yeah. So what, it, what are those? What's that? What are those minutes like? It's like five minutes to go. You're up 15 on Virginia. No one's ever done it before. You're yeah. kicking their ass. They're chasing you around. Like what? Is, it's out of body experience. What? Is, what is? What, what? What? What is that like? I mean, honestly, you're coaching the game between me and you. I mean, I, it wasn't anything crazy, you know. But like you're you're in the game. You you're a player. Like um, you've coached to. You know, that's like. You're, you're just trying to get to the end. You know, you're trying to do your best to, to for your team to get run, to the end. Run that clock. Run that <laughs> clock. Hurry up. Run the clock. You're a nervous wreck. Yeah, you're a nervous yeah. wreck. You're nervous that, you know, the fouls are going to start because at the end of games like that, they start yeah. driving to the basket over and over yeah. again. I was worried we we're going to stop the clock every time, you know, with fouls and they were going to shoot. It was going to be a parade to the free throw line. And so – you know, I learned long ago, dad used to always start looking at the, when he had leads, he'd start looking at the, the all right, well, what do I need to get to? All right. That they can't get to, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. 
from a number standpoint. And so that was why I just encouraged her to keep, keep trying to score if it's there, you know, take it when it's there because we were, we were clearly shooting it well. So there was no, no reason to not, not do that. But, you know, didn't, it, it, it all hit me as soon as we, we let that, the clock, clock go, shot clock go. We had a shot clock violation. And it was just like a wave of emotions. It was kind of like, wow, this thing really happened. Holy cow. What now? <laughs> How'd you even play the next game? I mean, you know, I wrote on the board at the end of that game. Uh, I went in there, wrote zero and 135, right? And I X'd out the zero and I wrote one. And I said, you guys are the one. And then below that, I wrote zero and zero. And I said, wouldn't it be a shame, all right, if we were still thinking about being the one up here in this one and 135, one, yeah, one and 135, and we didn't take advantage of the zero and zero, the first 16's opportunity, all right, there's a responsibility that goes with that. And so let's all focus for the next two days. And, and do our best, you know, to, to play our best, you know, give our best from a, from a preparation standpoint, do our best with the distractions while still having fun with it and, and go for it. And the guys did that, you know, we were in the game, we couldn't score a basket, but neither could Kansas state. And so it was a, you know, it was a knockdown drag out to the end. Um, I think we had 18 chances, you know, to take the lead in that game. And, we weren't able to do it. But one of the coolest moments for me was before the game ever started, you know, I'm in the locker room and you know how it is. You're, 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 you talk to your team and then they go out. And I was in the locker room by myself and, you know, it was probably a minute and a half after they left where I could hear the entire arena go berserk. And I knew exactly what it was. This group of guys – that nobody cared about. They were going bananas for them. And so that that made me happy, without a doubt. <laughs> okay, so now we're a couple years removed. And now you're you were the one seed, you were the big dog, yeah. and you got upset. Yeah. Um, and the, 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 the problem with UMBC is you're not gonna get a chance to go back to the tournament because just that's just not the way the conference is viewed. Yeah. Is has there in the in the couple of days since you lost, has there been a moment of I should have taken one of those big jobs? No, not at all. Because I love this, you know, I love this place. You know, I love everything about it. You know, but I understand what it is. I understand how hard it is, you know, at this level. Um, but you know, this this team, I told my team after we lost the other day. No one can ever take away. You want a regular season championship. That's not easy to do. Like that hadn't been done here since 2008. Even the, the team that went on to beat Virginia didn't do that. And so they have a lot to be proud of, especially in a, in a year where there were so many other obstacles outside of basketball that they had to navigate just to be able to have a chance at. And so, no, I, I'm thankful for the opportunity to coach at UMBC. I love the school. I love the people here. Um, you know, I, I understand, you know, what it is. You have to win in, in March, you know, and that's what you sign up for. And the pressures of that, you know, it's it can it's so rewarding, but it can be heartbreaking at the same time, like what we're experiencing right now. It's like you're numb for two days. You know, you don't even want to watch another game because you put so much into it. Um, 
but you know, it is what it is. That's, that's why March madness is March madness. Last thing. Yeah. Uh, will you secretly cheer against 16 seats? <laughs> no. So that you're the only, so that you're the only one. My wife will, my wife definitely. Will. <laughs> but no, I don't. Uh, like I didn't want. I'll tell you what. If Virginia is a one seat, if Virginia is a one seat again, I know they won't be this year, or yeah. but they were the other year. I'm definitely not cheering against them. <laughs> I don't want them to have that experience again. They don't. Once is plenty. What was that experience like to watch them win the national championship just a year after you guys did what you did? No, it was tremendous. I mean, it was it was extremely exciting for me because you know we were part of a part of their story. story. You know, yeah. and you know it's really neat. We had our own story, uh, but they, you know, we were part of theirs as well. Which were the two schools, a place where I grew up. You know, I'm I'm forever connected to that. You know, which is pretty neat. And I know it wasn't a good memory, but it turned out to be a good memory for. Virginia basketball and Virginia fans because it led them to a national championship, which is, you know, what it's all about. I can't tell you how appreciative I am of your time putting up yeah. with some technical difficulties. I know you got to go. Yeah. Uh, let's catch up in person very, very yeah. soon. But thanks so much for, yeah. for taking the time. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. My best to your family. Same to you. Well, I, I knew you would appreciate it. It was long, it was thoughtful, and I would hope you would, one, download uh, the podcast, uh, download, subscribe, rate us, write a review. It doesn't have to be about me. You can hate me. I mean, I don't hate you. Uh, write a review, and I think that that helps us in some way or some form. But more than anything, pass it on to a friend. Like, there's some great tidbits about coaching. There's some great tidbits about life. Uh, and I think the passion that Ryan lives with the realness with how he coaches kids and how he's handled success and failure is nothing short of remarkable. I'm so glad he got a chance to tell that story at this time. Anybody can, it's like after a win, anybody can tell a story after a win, man, you can't shut me up after a win. What do you do after a loss? Uh, There's more great ones to come. So glad you uh, downloaded and hope you subscribe, review, rate, listen to the Doug Gottlieb Show daily. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is All Ball. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.